With the division in the family of Lehi following his death proving too wide to heal, Nephi and his clan have followed the warnings of God to flee. Heartbroken over the loss of his father and fracture of his family bonds, Nephi offers a cry of pain, sorrow, and hope that has become a staple of his legacy in modern times. Now, with their newfound independence and unity, this people known as the Nephites have found great prosperity through faithfulness and industry. I invite you to join us today in our study of 2 Nephi chapters 3 through 5 of the Book of Mormon and encourage each of us to seek divine inspiration. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I have felt the joy of living the gospel of Jesus Christ when I realize that my family will be able to be with me forever. I'd say I feel the most joy when I'm going to church or reading my scriptures or doing things that I need to be doing. I felt the joy from living the gospel when I am making decisions or when I'm with friends and stuff and I get to share it with them. I feel the joy of living the gospel of Jesus Christ in just the everyday little things. In spending time with my family and seeing that my kids, especially as we've tried so hard to teach them with the gospel, that they have little glimmers of understanding. I've felt the comfort that the Spirit brings, even when I couldn't see how things were going to get better. I've had several family members go through challenging things, and just having the Spirit comfort me that I don't need to worry that the Atonement Covers Everything has brought a tremendous amount of peace in my life. Welcome everybody to our discussion on 2 Nephi chapters 3 through 5. My name is Ben Lomu and I am your host. Our Gospel Scholar for today is Gay Strathern. Gay is an author and professor in the Department of Ancient Scripture at BYU. She also has a PhD in Religion from Claremont Graduate University. Welcome, Gay. Thanks, Ben. Good to be here. And seated next to Gay is our special guest, Jody Moore. Jody is an author, speaker, life coach, and podcaster who focuses on helping people achieve happiness. She and her husband have four children. Welcome, Jody. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you all for being here. Our discussion today is built around the scriptures and complemented by the resource Come Follow Me. Additional study and teaching material is available at byutv.org slash comefollowup. Okay, Gay, so we're going to be studying primarily in 2 Nephi chapters 3 through 5. Can you give us an overall picture of what we're, what's going on historically and contextually? Well, this is in a really important part in um, the Book of Mormon. We're seeing this first period of transition between Lehi as the prophet, and as he passes away, then Nephi is going to assume the prophetic mantle, and that's going to have an impact on terms of the the community of the Nephites um, and the Lamanites. And we're see, going to see this separation from them as the Nephites move away and establish their own community uh, in the land that they're going to call the land of Nephi. So the first topic that we're going to be talking about, we're, we're primarily going to be uh, staying in 2 Nephi chapter 5. And the topic is, I can find happiness in living the gospel. How does that specific topic tie into uh, this chapter? When we get to chapter 5, we just get this very, very short statement in verse 27. And it came to pass that we lived after the manner of happiness. Okay, we have a happiness expert with us. Jody. I'm so no excited to, to learn from you, <laughs> right? 
would you mind just giving us a little bit of background on what you do and perhaps even define what is happiness? I am a master certified life coach. And so I help people really dive into their mindset and understand the connection between our thoughts and our emotions. The definition I really like for happiness is the idea that we are feeling content and satisfied. And it comes from what we're thinking and believing in any given moment. And that's what creates that feeling we all seek inside us that we call happiness. So in the scriptures, it talks about how they lived after the, the manner of happiness. The Declaration of Independence states that we are in the pursuit of happiness. Are we saying that happiness isn't always a guarantee in life and we actually have to work for it? Darn it, right? <laughs> yeah, I love that term, the manner of happiness, because it implies an overall um, feelings of contentment. But that's not to say that life's not going to be without trials. It's not even to say that we're doing something wrong when we're feeling sad or unhappy or frustrated or any other emotion. I, I believe all of our emotions are actually gifts that our heavenly parents have given us to help us navigate the world. Um, and in fact, it's that contrast of having sometimes negative emotion that makes happiness so powerful. So a manner of happiness doesn't mean we're always happy. It doesn't even mean that if we're living righteously, as the Nephites demonstrated here, that we're guaranteed to always be happy. And I think that that comes up very nicely when we're looking through first and second Nephi. And Nephi is seen as the righteous guy, right? <laughs> yeah. But he has a lot of trials that come from that, right? Yeah. Um, he tries to do the, the right thing. And so what happens? His brother's get angry with him. And that means they beat him or they tie him up or they try and kill him, which are fairly serious things, right? Yeah. But somewhere along the line, he's finding happiness in spite of mm. and not um, not losing sight of the importance of that that happiness that can come. Yeah. yeah. And there are, there are several examples in the scriptures where we see those that are living righteously and keeping the commandments seem to be living after this manner of happiness. What is the connection between happiness and God and our relationship with Him? I think that the belief that I've, I personally try to live from, that there is a higher power, that there is a heavenly father and a heavenly mother and a savior who love me and know me. I don't know how people get to peace without it because okay. there will be trials, there will be challenges. If happiness, as I believe, comes from our beliefs, right, from what we're thinking in any given moment, then I have to have something to default to, even when things are challenging, to bring that level of peace. Even during trial and challenge, there can be hope and optimism. And it, it, to live in a manner of happiness, I think we have to have ways to cope with the struggle. And for me, that's been my relationship with God and Jesus Christ. I would love to hear some comments from the audience. How has strengthening your relationship with God increased your happiness? JJ. My relationship with God is because when I was having challenges on my own of my eye surgery, he gave me strength and he doesn't want me to give up. And and I had a lot of surgeries and the Holy Ghost was, was the light and it gave me the right path. Thank you so much, JJ. Okay, what are your thoughts on the connection we have with God and how that can lead to our happiness? Yeah, I was thinking about how um, just before we have this uh, verse in 27 about the man of happiness, in verse 26, and it came to pass that I, Nephi, did consecrate 
Jacob and Joseph that they should be priests and teachers over the land of the people. So as I read that, I get this sense here of it's not enough to just be in mortality, but we've got to learn about the things of God, the eternal nature of things. In mortality, our sense of reality comes from our experiences here in mortality. But one of the things that with we connect with God and with the divine is that they help us see that this time in mortality is just one small part of eternity. And so one of the things that I think the connection with God helps us with in happiness is even when difficult times come, even when trials come, we have the eternal perspective, not just the mortal expect perspective of what is happening. And that this too shall cast as we learn and grow through the experience of, this is going to be a positive for us in terms of us achieving our eternal goals to become like God. Absolutely. Thank you, Jay. So Jody, you have children. Are they all happy at the same time? Man, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so what do we learn from this idea of, you can have people raised in the same environment yet they can, sometimes they can feel happy, other times they're not as happy. What's the principle that we learned from this example of how we really can feel happiness regardless of the situation that we're in? Yeah, I mean, the, the simplified way to say it is that happiness is a choice. Um, it is something that we have to work on. It's not, we're not entitled to it, as we talked about earlier. It's something that we have to choose. At the same time, I want to be very clear that it can be a very challenging choice and that there can be chemical, biological um, depression and anxiety. Those things are all real and, and are, are worthy of seeking treatment and help for. So it, it doesn't mean if, if you're unable to choose it, that you're doing something wrong, but that it is something we have to work on. And, and uh, like you said, I see that with my own kids. I mean, we can literally be at Disneyland and I can guarantee at any <laughs> given moment, one of them will be unhappy about something. And the story here of Lehi's family is such a great example of that, where, you know, Laman and Lemuel are constantly complaining about the very same, about living in the wilderness, right? The very same thing that Nephi is saying, we were so blessed. The Lord took such good care of us. And it comes down to that, um, the way we think about our lives, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about our circumstances is ultimately what will determine whether or not we're happy. Uh, Elder Rudolph has a beautiful quote that speaks to that. Yes. He says, discipleship is the pursuit of holiness and happiness. It is the path to our best and happiest self. So often we get caught up in the illusion that there is something just beyond our reach that would bring us happiness, a better family situation, a better financial situation, or the end of a challenging trial. The older we get, the more we look back and realize that external circumstances don't really matter or determine our happiness. We do matter. We determine our happiness. You and I are ultimately in charge of our own happiness. How do you feel about that quote, Gay? Oh, I love that, right? <laughs> um, yeah, because we came here to, to learn agency and how to use our agency and, and how we use our agency to choose God. We did it in the pre-mortal world, but now with the veil on it, one of the things I think we came here is not just to get a body, as important as that is, but to learn to choose God when we live in a world of choices. Mm -hmm. So happiness is one of those choices that we need to make. Can I just add, I find that news to be both empowering and disappointing at the same time, because sometimes 
I really want that external thing to be the thing that will bring me happiness. I was 30 years old when I got married, and um, that seemed old to me <laughs> at the time. Now it seems very young. But um, I remember thinking, once I can find my husband and get married in the temple and start having a family, then I'll feel happy. Then I'll feel at peace. And so it's somewhat disappointing to discover that you're still yourself when you get there and that there is still both the opportunity for happiness and unhappiness. And at the same time, it's the best news ever because it means we don't have to wait for anything to change before we can seek to find that happiness. Jody, how do you help somebody who at times just feels like they can't get out of that funk, that they're just in a rut and no matter what they do, no matter how hard they try to live the gospel, and keep their covenants, they just can't seem to feel happiness. How do you teach them uh, about the principles of happiness and that they can live in the manner of happiness? Well, I always take the approach that, again, it's what we're currently thinking and believing in any given moment that's creating our current emotions. And um, sometimes that gets oversimplified into just think positively. And... Um, I don't think that always works for people. I'm a fan of- there are of, other factors that come into play, right? There are a lot of factors. So I'm a fan of getting help, whether it be from a medical professional, a therapist, a coach, that's the form that I use myself. But um, there's a lot of resources, a lot of knowledge we have today about the nervous system and the brain and, and all of that I'm a fan of people reaching out for. I will say that the first step is making peace with the fact that we will experience negative emotions. Okay. And like you said, the opposition in all things that we hear about in the scriptures means opposition within us. And it's actually what creates the most beautiful, rich experience we can have as human beings is that contrast of joy and pain, light and dark. Is there like a defining moment where you can say, I really appreciate the good things because there have been some not so good things? A lot of those. Um, one experience that really stands out in my mind is about five or six years ago, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and um, went through pretty intensive treatment. And she is well today and her cancer is in remission. But as I watched her go through excruciating physical pain, emotional trial, and even a spiritual darkness where she said to me, why is the Lord not? helping me. I don't feel him. And watching her suffer in that way was so painful, of course, for me, but it was never easier to love my mom than in that moment. And um, of course, it brings me a lot of joy to see her feeling better today. But even in the, even in the darkness of all of that, in the pain of all of that, um, I felt close to her. I felt Again, it was so easy to love her in the middle of that. Oh, thank you, Jody. I love how with everything that we've been talking about, we see that there is a direct correlation between our connection with God and that He really wants us to be happy. And that's why we were sent here is to experience that joy. Thank you both so much for your comments on this first part of our discussion. I can find happiness in living the gospel. And for the audience, thanks for being here and sharing your comments as well. And for you at home, what gospel principles have brought happiness into your life? Share with us on any of our social media platforms. 
When you cry unto the Lord, it's at a time when you need Him the most. So my son was born with a rare genetic condition. And when we found out when he was born, we knew that he was going to face a lot of trials. To me, trusting in the Lord means understanding that He's going to be there with us. It doesn't mean that we'll necessarily be without challenges or trials. We didn't really know what it was going to look like. Um, we really had to put our trust in the Lord and move forward with faith. Trust goes in both ways. When Heavenly Father asked me to do something, I'll do it. Then He blessed me because i done it. And because of that, our, we have a better relationship. My son was meant to come here in his body for the trials that he faces. And I think that having that understanding and having that peace has really brought us through as his parents and given us strength to, to see the great life that he can still live. So the second topic we're gonna to discuss is, Oh Lord, I have trusted in thee. And we're gonna be staying in 2 Nephi chapter four for this. We're gonna backtrack a little bit. Uh, Gay, as it relates to this topic, how does it fit in with this chapter? Well, one of the things that we see here in chapter four is something called Nephi's Psalm. The context as it occurs now is that Lehi has just died. The prophetic mantle is shifting from Lehi to Nephi. And this psalm is a way of Nephi expressing, am I worthy of this? It's one thing to be the son of a prophet, but now that prophetic mantle is squarely on his shoulders. And we see this inner turmoil in Nephi, which I love. Um, he talks about that he's going to write the things of his soul. And what I love about this is seeing this window into Nephi the man and the struggle that he has to answer the question that I don't know about you, but I've certainly had. Am, am I worthy of this? Because I see my weaknesses. Jody, what can you tell us about the words that Nephi uses and how that gives us a glimpse into his life and what he's experiencing at this time? Yeah, he calls himself wretched man and talks about his heart sorrowing because of his flesh. And, and one of the things I notice is that I have a voice in my head that constantly points out all the things that are wrong with me. <laughs> and um, that dang voice. <laughs> <laughs> I have never been called to be a prophet, but I was called to be the nursery leader. And I had some of these same thoughts. <laughs> I think it's just such a great example where Nephi, who is so righteous, and we think of him as being so strong and brave and good, even he questions his worth and his value at times. And so I try to remember when I have those thoughts that that is part of the human condition, that it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that something is as wrong with me as I tend to believe, but that also maybe that is meant to help turn me to the Lord or to humble me, or maybe it serves some kind of a purpose. Being mad at myself for having those thoughts, I see that a lot in the clients I coach. They're constantly telling me, how do I stop with these thoughts? And I say, when you figure it out, let me know. But that doesn't mean the thoughts have to be driving us. Thank you. Gay, what are your thoughts on some of these words that Nephi is using? Yeah, so 17 and 18. 
Yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh. My soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nothing has prepared us for yeah. hearing that coming out of Nephi's mouth, yeah. right? But I think you're right here. We all have this voice that says this, but in this instance, Nephi is trying to find his place and his relationship with God. And he's recognized that as a mortal man, I sin. That's, that's not unique to Nephi, right? All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he's trying to deal with that in a way as, well, how can I become the prophet when I have these weaknesses? And I used to love, um, President Monson used to say, whom the Lord calleth, he qualifies. Um, and uh, it's not unusual for prophets to think like this. Enoch says, why are you calling me Lord? I can't speak. And God says, I'll put words in your mouth. Moses says, you're calling me to, to lead Egypt out? I'll be with you, all right? And that's what I think President Monson is saying. The Lord has only ever had one perfect person that he could call to do his work, and that is the Savior, Jesus Christ. All of the other times, he has to work with people like you and me, right? And Nephi, but whom the Lord calleth, he qualifies. And we see this as Nephi makes his transition. Jody, when we see Nephi speak like this, how does this help you as you view others that perhaps on the surface, they have it all together and everything is going smooth, yet sometimes down below, there is that sense of inadequacy. How do you deal in with people in situations like that? When I was pregnant with my first child, I was, nearly due and I was in the grocery store getting some groceries and a gentleman behind me I was kind of blocking the aisle with my cart he he didn't see me very well because I was my back was to him but he sort of moved me out of the way and he was kind of annoyed and then I turned around and he saw my giant pregnant <laughs> belly and he Whoops. said to me oh I'm sorry I didn't realize you were in a delicate condition <laughs> and I remember it was interesting he used those words delicate condition but he was very kind what stood out to me was I had this thought I'm wearing that delicate condition on my belly in a really visible way right now but everybody is in a delicate condition mm. or a lot of us are many of the time and that, um, you know, we see Nephi even here struggling and that we need to be mindful of that. I need, I need to do a better job being mindful of that, I know, in my life. And we do get to see the other side of some of these thoughts that Nephi is having as he uses now words, phrases to kind of, I don't know if he's talking himself up or, or maybe reminding himself of how much faith that he does have. Gay, can we walk through some of those verses and look at some of these positive words and imagery? Yeah, um, I like, well, there's lots of places, but <laughs> down in verse 28, Awake, my soul, no longer droop in sin, rejoice, O my heart, and give no place for the enemy of my soul. Um, verse 30, rejoice, O my heart, and cry unto the Lord and say, O Lord, I will praise thee forever. Yea, my soul will rejoice in thee, my God, and the rock of my salvation. O Lord, wilt thou redeem my soul? Wilt thou deliver me out of the hands of mine enemies? Wilt thou make me that I may shake at the appearance of sin? 
And then verse 33 is one of my favorite. O Lord, wilt thou encircle me around in the robe of thy righteousness? That was something that Paul loved to teach, right? It's not my righteousness that gets me to heaven. It's a righteousness of Jesus Christ, which imparts to us because of our covenants. It's the relationship, the connection with him that enables us in a covenant state to stand before God at the judgment, knowing that I'm not perfect, but in my covenant relationship with Christ, I'm prepared to enter the presence of God. That's beautiful. Thank you. Jody. what are some of your thoughts on, on this part of, of Nephi's psalm? Well, I love in verse 19 where we see the shift happen. Mm -hmm. It's when he's saying, and when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. And then we hear the shift. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. And then he goes on to praise the Lord. And I, I love that so much. It reminds me of when I was certified as a life coach nine years ago. And I'm sure anyone who's gone through any kind of professional training can relate to this, but I got out feeling very inadequate. Like I'm supposed to help people and I don't know if I can help people. I'm, I still have plenty of my own self to work on. <laughs> How am I gonna help people? And the thought that helped me was that I didn't need to be confident in myself. I could be confident in my training. I could be confident okay. that I had some tools that were really powerful. That's what Nephi is demonstrating here with his confidence is not in himself, it's in the Lord. That's just such a relief that we don't have to be perfect because he is. And it's it's like he's reviewing what the Lord has done for him in the past. He's, he's been my support. He led me through my afflictions. Uh, he preserved me on the waters. He's going through this process of remembering how good God has been to give him the strength to move forward and think, yeah, he did before, I know he can do it again. And I think this is why Nephi can talk about trust, right? Because he's had all of these little experiences along the way. He's needed help and God has come to him and has helped him. And so now as he comes into becoming the prophet, he can trust in those experiences that just as he helped him build a boat, or just as he helped him get away from his brothers who had bound him up, that as he moves forward, he can trust that God will help him at this time in his life and this assignment. And I think one of the things that's key to it, verse 21, he hath filled me with his love, even unto mm -hmm. the consuming of my flesh. Have you ever had those kind of moments, right? Where the spirit is just so strong and you feel God's love for me, right? But he needs to know that this love is not just about him. He needs to experience that because he's got to go out and help all of the others mm -hmm. and help them see and experience and feel the love of God for them, not just for him. I love yeah. that. I would love to hear from the audience. What do you do to build your faith and trust in God? Kathy. I try really hard to say my prayers and read the scriptures in the morning. I also will remember times when I've been in my deepest despair and realize that God will help us in his own time. It's not always in our own time that we're going to be healed from something that we've gone through. And if I can remember the times where I've needed that before and I've had that lack of patience and it finally happened, then it helps me when I get into that kind of a situation again. 
Thank you, Kathy. And I love what Kathy, how she's mentioned remembering, going back and reflecting on those things because we see here with Nephi, the reason why we're having this discussion is because Nephi chose to write some of these things down. If you go back to verse 15, and upon these, I write the things of my soul. I love that phrase of writing the things of your soul. What's some of the value of writing these things down, not only for ourselves, but for our posterity? You know, throughout the scriptures, this word remember comes up again and again and again and mm -hmm. again, right? And so we need to be reminded of the great things that the Lord has done. We've got to remember the times that we've had these experiences because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy with the passage of time saying, oh, that's a coincidence or something like this. But having them written down and trying to think, I do this not so much in writing, but in my daily prayers, right? Because I'm trying to spend that time at night on my knees, remembering where did I see the hand of God yeah. in my life today? Right. And, and then I can, then I, it, it helps me to have confidence to the next morning saying, Heavenly Father, I need you again today. I've got this, this, and this I've done. I can't, cannot do it by myself, but I can trust that he's done it for me yesterday and he will do it. But it, it takes an act. Can't be passive. This has mm -hmm. got to be trying to actively look to see the hand of God in my life. I love how you mentioned trusting in God. We had a, a question coming from one of our viewers about that. And let's watch that. And I'd love to get some of your thoughts on it. Hi, my name is Bosho from Ghana. In 2 Nephi chapter 4, verses 54, Nephi emphasizes that he will put his trust in the arms of men. My question is, how can I put my trust in God in times of challenges and uncertainties? It's, sometimes it's easier said than done, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> what do you think, Jody, about putting trust in God when things maybe aren't going so well? Yeah, it's definitely easier said than done, and, and that's partly because our human brains are good at predicting the future, right? And it helps us sometimes plan for and prevent challenges, but it can also then create worry and panic and fear about things that we can't really do anything about now. So what helps me is to bring it back to the present. I, with my four kids, I have two teenagers who are gonna be leaving the house in a f you know, the next few years. And my mind often wants to go to, have I prepared them? Probably not. <laughs> are they gonna be okay? Probably not. Like all the disaster scenarios. When I come back to what's true right now, the only thing I can actually do anything about is a current challenge and then give the rest to the Lord. It actually brings a lot of peace. And there's that part of my brain that's like, that's irresponsible. You should be worrying about this. But I know that worry is not preventative or necessary. And so just giving it over to the Lord and trusting that he will guide us through whatever happens is actually really peaceful. So there's a part of Nephi's psalm here, right? Verse 23, Behold, he hath heard my cry by day and hath given me knowledge by visions in the nighttime. This is him remembering, right? Mm -hmm. And then he goes on, And by day I wax bold and mighty prayer before him, yea, and my voice I have sent up on high, and angels came down and ministered unto me. Coming back to this answer, this is his time when, Am I worthy of this? Can I do this? but he's remembering the times when he has needed God in the past. And so now he has this trust 
that he can have moving forward in this next phase of his life. Thank you both so much for sharing your thoughts on our second topic, Oh Lord, I Have Trusted in Thee. And for the audience, thanks so much for being here and sharing your comments as well. Thank you everyone for participating in the discussion from 2 Nephi chapters three through five. For those at home, we still have much to cover in footnotes. Please stay with us. I feel the spirit when I read the scriptures. Uh, I can find the answers when I'm going through hard things or whatever I need. The scriptures, the Holy Ghost speak to me through the scriptures. A few ways that the Spirit communicates to me is through feelings, promptings, and dreams. So many times in my life, somebody has just smiled at me at, in church when I was feeling really low or made a comment or shared a scripture or even just somebody in the grocery store showing a little act of kindness has been really a powerful way that I feel like the Lord has just reminded me, I'm aware of you. I know what you're going through. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions from 2 Nephi chapters 3 through 5 with Gay and Jody. All right. Well, we've had some wonderful discussions so far, and I'm excited to jump back into these chapters. So one of the things that I want to revisit from our previous discussion is the idea of these are Lehi's last words um, to, to his family, to his posterity. Gay, what, is, what do we learn from what he is teaching and saying his kids before he dies? Well, I think this is something that is common in the ancient world. Okay. Um, in the Bible, we have Jacob is doing the same thing. He's wanting to give this blessing to his his children before he leaves. And uh, Lehi is, is doing likewise. He sat down with Laman and Lemuel and Sam. Um, we're going to see him here with Joseph. In chapter four, uh, I think he worries a little bit that he's had fairly negative things in his blessing for Laman and Lemuel, and he wants their children, along with Ishmael's children, to know that there is still hope mm -hmm. for them. So let's jump into some of these chapters. Um, and we we, have, we haven't touched on chapter three yet. When I teach this to my students, this is the Joseph chapter yep. because we get four different Josephs introduced in, in this. Can we talk a little bit about this chapter and, and why there are so many Josephs named? They're going to go back to Joseph of Egypt mm -hmm. times, right? And this is important to Lehi because he's a descendant of Joseph's. And, and this then becomes part of his heritage that he's wanting to talk about. Alma chapter 10 verse 33 says specifically that Lehi was a descendant of Joseph's sons, Manasseh. So we see this connection here. And now Lehi has a son named Joseph mm -hmm. and he wants to connect this Joseph, and no, this is your namesake. Learn from him. This, In some ways, this is very similar to what we see in Genesis, where Jacob is sitting down with his sons because he's going to give a blessing to Joseph. And of all of the blessings that Jacob gives, it's probably Judah that kind of gets the the most significant of the blessings because it's through him and through his seed that the Messiah will come. But to Joseph, and Latter-day Saints are very familiar with this, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. And Lehi sees himself as the, at least 
partial fulfillment of that prophecy from Genesis. Lehi wants Joseph to know that his lineage is also important. And so we get a lot more information about the blessing to Joseph than we get in the Bible. Uh, this is probably because they're getting it from the brass plates, which is a record of the northern kingdoms, mm -hmm. which would have included Joseph. Um, and then verse 5, wherefore, Joseph truly saw our day. Now, I want you to think about this because as Latter-day Saints, we'll read that, oh, he saw our day. And I think there's an element. But here he's saying Joseph saw Lehi's day mm. and his lineage and things like that. And so, um, and he wants him to know he obtained a promise of the Lord that out of the fruit of Joseph's loins, the Lord God would raise up a righteous branch and Lehi's hoping that Joseph will know you're part of that, mm -hmm. right? Unto the house of Israel, not the Messiah, that's Judah, but a branch which shall be broken off, nevertheless to be remembered in the covenants of the Lord that the Messiah should be made manifest unto them in the latter days in the spirit and power and the bringing them out of darkness and into light. So there's this promise that the Messiah will also come to them. It won't just be to the tribe of Judah. Of course, third Nephi in the Book of Mormon, that becomes really, really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the theme I see here is the theme of, of legacy yep. and the importance of teaching our children about the legacy that, that they can leave behind. Jody, what are some of your thoughts on, on how important it is today in our lives on on setting up a legacy for generations that follow. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to what we were talking about um, previously with journaling, right? And, and sharing your story. And um, I always think about this too during the sacrament prayer when we're reminded that we're taking the name of Christ upon us. It's sort of like I was raised, a Lyman was my maiden name. And if my parents would say, now you're a Lyman, so represent <laughs> us well when you go out there and, and that, that um, like Lehi is reminding his son of his lineage and that, that all of us are, take the name of Christ upon us and are, are trying to represent that. And ultimately that's what it's all about, is yeah. about making that connection to Christ. Now we get the words of actually Joseph. You, right. you mentioned that earlier. Uh, what are some of the important things that we can take from what Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, is trying to teach that perhaps we don't find in the Bible? Yeah, so um, verse 6 is told specifically that this seer, the Lord God shall raise up who shall be choice seer unto the fruit of my loins, to Joseph's loins. Verse 7, will I give a commandment that he shall do a work for the fruit of thy loins, his brethren, which shall be of great worth unto them, even to the bringing of them to the knowledge of the covenants which I have made with thy fathers. So now we're talking about Joseph Smith. Well, Joseph Smith, yes, right? Okay. Um, but it's also interesting, isn't it, that the Book of Mormon is talks about one of the purposes of the Book of Mormon is to bring them to a knowledge of the covenants. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, this is just saying, like Judah will have the Messiah, but you are also part of the house of Israel. The covenants that I made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are really important for you as well. And, and this is one of the things I see Nephi and Jacob kind of, 
trying wrestling with a little bit. They're saying, okay, you tell us we're part of the covenant, but the covenant is about land and we've left that land Mm -hmm. and we ain't going back to it. So how does this covenant work for us since we've been broken off? And so that's why I think the Joseph stuff is really important, that the covenant will follow you as you move to a new land. And so you'll have a new covenant land and that then becomes really important to what they're doing as a family. What are some of the things that we can see that teach us about what the Book of Mormon and the Bible combined can do? Okay, can I go back actually to verse 11? Please, absolutely. Because this seer, who we're seeing as an understanding as Joseph Smith, Mm -hmm. right? This seer I will raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, Joseph, and unto him I will give power to bring forth my word unto the seed of thy loins. So... Part of this is that he's going to have this work, and we're thinking about this as the Book of Mormon. Um, And not only the bringing forth of my word only, saith the Lord, but to the convincing them of my word, which shall have already gone forth among them, which Mm -hmm. is the Bible, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure that we think about this very much, but this prophecy saying the Part of what the prophet Joseph is going to be, his work is to convince people that the Bible is good. It (laughs) is the word of God. Mm. Uh, I don't think we think about that too much. So verse 12 then, wherefore the fruits of thy loins, Joseph, shall write, Book of Mormon, the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write the Bible, and that which shall be written by the fruit of thy loins and also shall be written by the fruit of the loins of Judah shall grow together. That imagery I absolutely love, right? The Bible and the Book of Mormon shall grow together. We need to see them together. And look what happens when we study the doctrine from both of them. They shall grow together unto, number one, the confounding of false doctrines. Number two, the laying down of contentions. Number three, establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins. And four, bringing them to a knowledge of their fathers in the latter days and also unto a knowledge of the covenants, saith the Lord. This is God speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think if we read the Book of Mormon in its totality, rather than just thinking about it in terms of one passage, the Book of Mormon is very, very favorable of the teachings of the Bible. Look at how much they quote from Isaiah. You yeah. know, those passages mm-hmm. that we try and uh, to yep. uh, skip. Oh, yes, yes <laughs> exactly. But even the Savior is going to say, there's this stuff here that you need to do from Malachi. You yeah. need to have this stuff because it's an important part of what's going on. And so I just love this in terms of helping us to remember that um Although our eighth article of faith reads, and I'm going to read it two ways, and I'm not going to change a word, right? (laughs) But the eighth article of faith is, we believe the Bible to be the word of God, as far as it's translated correctly, (laughs) or we believe the Bible to be the word of God, as far as it is translated correctly. I haven't changed one word, but I've changed the intent, Mm -hmm. right? I've changed the understanding, the interpretation of that. Because in one, our emphasis on as far as it's translated correctly, we say, well, I'm busy and I don't have time, so I don't really need to read it. But if we're saying we believe the Bible to be the word of God, then it's more incumbent upon me to take the time to study it and to find ways that it works together with Mm -hmm. the Book of Mormon. A quote from President Nelson. This is when he was on his 
first worldwide tour and he goes to Laie in Hawaii and he speaks to them. President Nelson said, the remarkable gift of the Book of Mormon clarifies the teachings on the Bible and the Bible clarifies the teachings of the Book of Mormon. To take only one or the other, you miss out on a lot of depth, three-dimensional concepts that we have when we read them together. Let them support, sustain one another. Jody, as I'm looking at some of the things that the Book of Mormon and Bible together do in verse 12, how has the Book of Mormon assisted you, not only in your work, but in your personal life, to teach how we truly can live after this manner of happiness? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I always say the scriptures are the best in the original self-help books. Okay. <laughs> um, it really is all there, and it's told in, in stories, which is how we learn best, and in parables, as Christ taught. Um, but honestly, you know, in in today's world where we have science and, and psychology and all kinds of studies of, of human nature, which I love, there is always a gospel principle from the Book of Mormon or the Bible, from the scriptures that already has articulated it. And for me, the tools I've learned in the world of self-help have been often a how-to to live principles that were already outlined. And what's interesting is even with people who are members of the church, we have different uh, points that our testimonies are at or different okay. pieces of doctrine or even principles that we either really find to be easy or we struggle with. So there's lots of ways to interpret the scriptures, right? Um, so really my work is about helping people um, clean, I call it cleaning up their thinking. So what we wanna do is we wanna be operating from peace and faith and trust and love as much of the time as we can. And I do believe that's where the spirit then speaks to us and helps us find the personal application. So um, I, I get the honor and privilege of just showing people themselves, for lack of a better description. I show them their thoughts. Sometimes they don't want to hear it, <laughs> but um, they get to do with it as they please. And, and that's where, you know, I think the spirit is what really truly heals us. The, the atonement is what strengthens us, but I get to help them clean up some of the noise. Mm -hmm. As I read this chapter, um, I've often asked myself, at what point as Joseph Smith is, is translating, does he realize... <laughs> yeah. Wait, Wait, that's, that's me. That's me. <laughs> Especially when you get to verse 15, and his name shall be called after me, and yeah. it shall be after the yeah. name of his father. I just wonder how that must have been like for Joseph to really, at what point did he realize the magnitude of his calling? Mm. When did it really hit him that I am doing something incredible, the work that I'm doing? And I wonder how, you know, as we look at Nephi, as we look at that transition, the mantle falling upon him, yep. realizing that, this is real wow. now. Yeah. What I'm doing is matters. Can we go back and revisit uh, the Psalm of Nephi and talk a little about, you know, some of the beauty of the writing or maybe some things we didn't get a chance to touch on earlier? Well, I think the first thing is that the idea is that this is poetry and, and Hebrew poetry is very different than our Western poetry. There's not a whole lot of rhyming in this, <laughs> but it, but there's this, um, concept of meaning, word meaning. Okay. And the basic building block of Hebrew poetry is something called parallelism. And that means that lines are related to 
to each other. You have one line says something and the second line says it the same thing, but you just use synonyms, okay. right? This is very good if you're trying to memorize this stuff, right? But the thing that I find is interesting is sometimes I don't understand it, but if I see that this is a synonymous parallelism, they're synonyms, then I can read the second half of it and I go, oh, oh, that's what we're, what's what we're talking about. Maybe increase about. your understanding of it yeah. a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So I, I wrote down a couple of these here. Fun. So, so <laughs> in verse 16, for my soul delighteth in the things of the Lord and my heart pondereth continually upon the things which I have seen and heard. So we've got two things. It's saying the same kind of thing. My soul delighteth in the things of the Lord. So what's the, the parallel for soul in verse 16? Heart. Yeah, right? So our inner selves. And then we've got delighteth in the things of the Lord, but what's the equivalent of it in 16? Pondereth. Pondereth, yeah. Pondereth continually upon the things which I've seen and heard. Mm. So it's kind of helping us to kind of build build the idea um, of it. You see the same thing in 15, my soul delighteth in the scriptures, my heart pondereth There you go, them. there you go. And so that's a basic form, but you can also get ones where you get the opposite and that's kind of sets up the foil for it. Okay. So we say one thing and then we say the opposite. Awake, verse 28, awake my soul, no longer droop in sin. Rejoice, O my heart, and give place no more to the enemy within. So we've got these contrasts here. And so for me, it's fun kind of reading through and recognizing I cannot read this in the same way I read First Nephi 1 through 7, yeah. which is narrative. I've got to stop and look for the beauty of the language. It's not just what's written, but how it's written. And the nice thing about um, uh, Hebrew poetry is that uh, when you translate it, um, the poetry comes through in the same way. It's because it's meaning. It's not how the words sound and things like okay. that so much. Mm. Yeah. I so we that. can read it in English or we can read it in Hebrew and we're going to still see the poetic okay. nature oh, of what it is. There's a, a, something that I noticed as I was reading this that stood out. And it's something Nephi says in his psalm um, in verse 29 of chapter 4. This idea of anger, uh, telling himself, do not anger uh, because of, of my enemies as a reminder of, of how she, he should respond. And I, it's something that I see in, in the world today, that there is a lot of anger that exists. And at the heart of the separation that takes place in chapter 5 between the Nephites and the Lamanites is anger. If you look in verse 1, Behold, it came to pass that I Nephi did cry much unto the Lord of my God because of the anger of my brethren, but behold, their anger did increase against me. Despite his prayers, there's sometimes there's nothing we can do. Uh, we can't control others' emotions and thoughts. When it comes to anger, what are your thoughts on how destructive it can be, especially as we are in our pursuit of happiness, as we're trying to live after this matter of happiness, how does anger destroy the happiness? Well, when I'm coaching somebody who tells me they feel angry, and we we all feel justified, or I often feel justified in my anger anyway, um, and so I always ask them, how does it feel? What does it feel like in your body, literally, that anger? And if we slow down and think about it, none of us like the feeling. And you just pointed out, Gay, the how Nephi uses the parallel sentences, and in, in verse 29, he says, 
uh, do not anger again because of mine enemies. And then his interpretation of that, do not slacken my strength. She's, look at, you see that? See, <laughs> I was listening. I was listening. And so Nephi's telling us right there, he knows that anger weakens him. Wow. And um, that's what anger does. It feels justified. It feels like it's going to punish the subject of my anger, but it, it really punishes us much more. And that's a hard thing to remember when you're in the thick of it, but that is the reality. It weakens us in the end. Wow. And that's why he has to move away. And that's why he has to move away. And that's why boundaries are a really important part of our happiness in the end. Jody, I would love to hear just any final thoughts on anything we've talked about and, and, and get, to give you a chance to share your testimony with us. Yeah, well, thank you. It's been really fascinating. And thank you, Gabe, for your insights. I just love, Nephi is one of my favorite characters in the Book of Mormon, if you're allowed to have favorites. <laughs> um I, I think he really is such a, a great example of all the things that I'm trying to implement and that I try to help others with, of allowing emotions, uh, being both happy and unhappy, um, you know, accepting challenges, accepting huge unrealistic goals like building a boat, and, mm -hmm. um, and also navigating difficult family relationships. Um, I feel like most of the things that people come to me with that they're struggling with and that I've struggled with Nephi uh, talks about in his journey. So I really appreciate um, his example. I feel just really a, a, a closeness to him. And um, yeah, so I appreciate it. It's been nice being here. Well, thank, thank you, you for so much. Me. It's been so great uh, having you here and thank hearing you. of your experiences and learning from you. And Gay, it's always wonderful to 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 be in awe of what you know and right, it's amazing yes. to learn from you. I could you. listen to her longer. Absolutely, <laughs> thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. And for those watching at home, thank you for joining us for this discussion of Second Nephi chapters three through five. Visit byutv.org/slash/come-follow-up for more study and teaching resources. And join us next week as we study Second Nephi chapters six through ten and discuss the Lord's faithfulness to His covenants and the promise of salvation. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.